Hello and welcome to another episode of Stories from the Crisp Drawer. This is episode 17, being recorded November 17th, 2018. The episode title is <laughs> The Potato War on Stuffing. <laughs> yeah, uh, sort of making fun of uh, the upcoming U.S. Thanksgiving after Canada. We already had ours, so yeah, going forward. <laughs> So we've got a. I did make a pretty big script today. Uh, hopefully, I'll be able to cover it all. First of all, uh, sorry about not having any release in October. It's been about, well, let's see. Uh, Facebook keeps annoying me on how long it's been. It's been like what fifty days since I posted anything almost about related to this. I po- put up a little uh, like more stuff is coming on my um, on the website. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but it's been a long time. Yeah, uh, it it has been a considerable period of time since I've been posting anything. It it, it should say, uh, they usually said like, oh, look at this, look at this, look at this. But yeah, it's been close to 50 days, if not more than 50 days since I posted an episode of Stories from the CRISPR drawer. Sorry about that. So, first things first, let's get into it. Um... Calgary, we had a referendum this week on the 13th. It was a plebiscite, but... And thankfully, they're acting like it is a plebiscite. So the difference between a plebiscite and a referendum is a referendum is what the people think, and the government can decide, oh, we're going to throw that out or listen to it. A plebiscite is the government's supposed to listen to what happens on the decision. It's like ballot initiatives in the United States for people who live in the United States where, you know, I, laws and stuff go up for ballot initiatives, like, you know, vote yes on on uh, 331 or HR 14 or whatever, you know, stuff like that that happens more in the United States and their their general and midterm elections versus what happens in Canada. But so a plebiscite is closer to that referendum. It's more like, do you got, what do you guys think? And this is non-binding. Plebiscites are supposed to be binding. And it looks like the Calgary city government, civic government is going to take, uh, I guess municipal government is probably the proper term for it, um, is going to take the plebiscites, and this Monday, the 19th, they are going to decide if we are going to keep going on our Olympic bid or not. Because it's between uh, two cities in Italy that are joint doing it, uh, sort of, uh, and they're low on money, and Stockholm, which also doesn't have the money. Canada, it looks like uh, Calgary had the most amount of federal backing, but still, it, it it's not a... Uh, it wasn't a done deal, and it was going to be very expensive, and a lot of the pro groups, like they didn't start actually putting out information until about two to three weeks ahead of the vote. And most of the like per date information, like, oh, here's the field house, here's the stadium. They didn't put stuff like that out until like a week before the vote. And I know because they had aggressive campaigns on Facebook. So I was seeing a lot of that. And I'm like, where are you getting these figures? Where are they, you getting this? Where are you getting this? How are you going to get that land? That's probably not going to work out or stuff. So yeah, it was, it was, um, not the greatest thing, and I'm, of course, a no voter. I didn't actually vote in that election, but, uh, well, that plebiscite, but I would have voted no, and I'm happy the no's won because it's an expensive thing to host the Olympics, and a lot of um, Canadians and Calgarians are like, oh, look at this prestige. Like, it's eight years away if we had decided to go for it, and there's a lot of things that can go wrong in eight years. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there's that. I'm also going to do... How about a little uh, story about me? An actual story from the CRISPR drawer, why don't we? Uh, this sort of will explain why uh, later on I'm talking more... I talk a lot about gaming on here because I am a 
I guess I'm a gamer. I mean, I have a PlayStation 4. I've got a Nintendo Switch. I've collected a lot of consoles and video games, and I've had, a, a, you know, a lot of good times with video gaming. It's it's decreased the amount of time I've been able to put in gaming as I get my careers and stuff off the ground, but, you know, sacrifices have to be made. So, um, let's go into that. So, one thing that really, I, I just was remembering, I was thinking, ah, oh, two weeks ago, I'm going to tell this story, this actual story of my life uh, sort of thing. G- give a little hint about who I am. Um, who is Joss? Who is Justin? Who is this guy who's hosting this podcast? Who is hosting this podcast from his basement in the bunker in Calgary, Alberta, Canada? Um, so what? What? Uh, the one that really came to my mind was in my old house, uh, I eventually, I'm going to, I'm thinking I might do like a floor plan drawing of this house, uh, like just a rough one, like where things were, how I remember them, blah, 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 maybe in the future and I'll post it on the website and I'll put it as pictures in the, uh, in that episode when I decided to do that and do more stories about that house and some of the other stuff that was going on. Um, but something really came out to me. When StarCraft, the original, and Brood War came out, I had a I didn't have a PC to game on. My brother did. He had a Windows 98 machine, but I did not have that. Um, my dad got us the original iMac. Um, when the original iMac first came out. So the original iMac. Uh, and that was... Jeez, uh, I can't remember. That was years and years ago. Um... Oh, the original iMac. Uh, the iMac G3 from 1998 to 2003. So yeah, we probably got one 1998, 1999. Jeez, oh, 20 years ago. Make me feel old. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, it was based on the Power Mac G3 uh, system. The interesting thing about bringing this up is because the iMac uh, was able to play StarCraft. And StarCraft Broodboard, like because I had the battle chest... Uh, I still have those discs, can be installed on PC and Mac, which was a, a brilliant on Blizzard to actually support a gaming on a platform that was actually dying out back then. Uh, Macs were not really on the comeback. They've come back in the mid to late 2000s was really when they've resurged, mostly because they decided to go with Intel chips or AMD chips and instead of making their own stuff and having this crazy source code that didn't work with Mac, with Windows. Now, they allow boot camping and they allow all this various other stuff. It, it was a good good time. It was a good time. But I, I distinctly remember this one point where it was either I was going to watch a movie and on a VCR. So that uh, for people who are too young to know what VCRs are, um, which means that you would have been born in the early 2000s, a VCR <laughs> is a, uh, it's what holds a movie, and it's a tape. So it's a me- piece of magnetic tape around two spools, and that's how the movie works. And when you're done, you actually have to physically rewind it. Now, you could u- you could use your VCR to do rewinding. Some people told you not to and bought, you know, external rewinding decks because that was better for the machine and it meant that the heads uh, and they weren't uh, opening up the head of the VCR, so it wasn't the magnetic tip and the it wasn't exposing stuff. And there were various other things. So they were a pretty good platform. They competed against. Sony's uh, beta style of um, format, Matt, as a sort of cassette-like uh, distrib- distribution. Uh, beta had a technically a better picture quality, a better data transmission, and was a smaller uh, object. It was a smaller uh, medium, so it would have been better. But they, of course, 
the studios didn't buy Vega, uh, Sony's uh, beta. They decided to go with VCR, which I, I don't know if there was a Panasonic decision or somebody else back then. Uh, I'd have to look it up. But anyway, it was either that or I was wanting to watch cartoons or I was wanting to watch something on TV. And I distinctly remember taking the original iMac, which had a handle. And think about this. Like, I was not that old then. I was maybe, uh, I was probably closer to 10 years, 10 or 11 years old back then, I think. I would have taken that computer. This probably was 1998 or 2000. Uh, I was able to, I disconnected the computer, took it, um, took my mouse pad, because it had that crazy uh, circle mouse, uh, took the keyboard over, found an extension cord downstairs in the garage, brought it upstairs, plugged the extension cord in to some outlet that I must have found around uh, my parents' uh, bedroom where they had the big screen TV and uh, the media center and moved uh, <laughs> and moved the TV, eventually moved the computer over there, plugged it in and got it, uh, got StarCraft playing on it. And that was just like... <laughs> I don't know. It was just something to do. It was really funny uh, that I did that. I just it, it explains to me ever since why I, I love gaming. Because remember, this would have been nineteen. This is uh, when I had the N sixty four downstairs in my brother had bought the N sixty four, and it was downstairs in a room that we called the playroom, which is in the front of the house. Moving my computer downstairs went going downstairs, and when you're that young and you've got like a, I don't know how expensive those computers were back then. They were probably pricey. It's not something you want to drop and break. Moving something on the same floor height as you is not too bad to do if you have to go up and downstairs. And note that my parents' place had two staircases. One that went there was a straight staircase, a regular straight down staircase, 27 or so steps uh, from the second floor down to the kitchen and then I'd have to walk all the way around the kitchen uh, to get all the way to the playroom or I would have taken from my bedroom a spiral staircase that was halfway to the playroom except the playroom didn't have a lot of exposed plugs anywhere and had a lot of sun glare and where I positioned in my parents bedroom actually was way more comfortable so I just thought I'd, I'd share that story about you, me moving my whole computer assembly to watch cartoons or a movie and, and play uh, play StarCraft at the same time. Just really ridiculous stuff, but I just remember doing that. That um, and I, that's kind of stuck with me. I mean, I have a TV in my bedroom with a few consoles connected to it. Uh, my switches, my switches upstairs, and. Uh, and I recently was lucky enough to get my hands on an SNES Classic, which is a beautiful little thing. I, I just, uh, Nintendo, you're cool for doing that. I hope you we see more of those. Like an N64 Classic would be cool. But I understand that um, Reggie Fizemi from uh, Nintendo of America said that it might be in the future, but it's not in the immediate future because it was sort of meant to supplement the turning off of the Wii U as their primary console, it was sort of meant to supplement that transition to the Switch as to people who wanted more of a dedicated, like, you know, virtual console unit, but actually have a physical unit. This was how they did it. I mean, let's face it, they're Raspberry Pis in um, in Nintendo-style shells, but still cool, still cool. Uh, it's cool they were able to use the Nintendo uh, Wii uh, controller extension cord uh, and that plug style, which meant that, you know, there are peripherals around that can actually work with that. That was a very smart thing by Nintendo standards to do. Um, 
and you get these cool things. Now, I'll say uh, the other good thing is I think the NES Classic only comes with one controller. The SNES Classic came with two. Smart on you, Nintendo. Uh, so because of that, I actually have a Nintendo licensed copy of Alicia's uh, Little Link to the Past. I do not have a, a physical copy of that for my SNES, which is probably one of the few games I don't have a physical copy of. It's an expensive game to get. I do have a copy of uh, of um, Mario RPG though, which is pretty cool. <laughs> uh, but let's let's continue on. Uh, I still love my Switch. Uh, I traveled down to Phoenix recently, and during that flight down and flight back, I decided to play Stardew Valley, and that's mostly what I played when I was down there. Like I took my Switch. I have Mario on there. I've got Bayonetta one and two on there. I've got a few other. I'm Considering picking up the Pokemon games just because it's like, oh, Pokemon, I love Pokemon. But we'll see where that goes. Um, anyway, still love the Switch, still love how that works. Uh, just Nintendo, you made a great system. And I know they're going to come out with a new version or like a refresh or something to do with it next year in 20, 2019. But I, I love my current version. Uh, just I hope that the... Um, that with the new version, they give ways so like if people like me want to buy it, there's ways to transfer all the data from our switch to the next one or whatever. The cloud save thing works, but what about the games that don't cloud save? I hope that changes out soon, uh, or at least that there's a you know utility tool like hey, you're able to move this between. It's only read on switches, but here's the file that allows you to move it. I mean, granted, people will crack that and figure stuff how to do it. It's a little annoying that the cloud save feature for the Switch, uh, like the guys who can actually hack the games that the cloud save does not work on are the ones actually having a better experience or the guys who have homebrewed their Switches or done something else like that. But I don't want to do that. I like my Switch. Uh, speaking of Nintendo, Smash Bros. Ultimate is coming soon in December. I think it's December 8th is the release date for that game. So that's coming up pretty quickly and it is crazy what they're doing with it. And speaking of release dates, we still have Ace Combat coming out for uh, Ace Combat 7, Skies Unknown coming out on the January 18th for the Xbox One and PlayStation 4, and then on February 1st for PC. Kind of sucks for PC having a later release date, but, you know, at the same time, it might also be good for the PC guys because they'll be able to be like, hey, is this actually worth it or not? Now, I have... Uh, I have physically pre-ordered two copies of this game. I've ordered a digital download one that will be available for play. And then I also have ordered the collector's edition from Namco Bandai. I mean, Bandai Namco. <laughs> Used to be the other way around. But we'll see. We'll see. I, I, I like it. I don't promote other people buying pre-order of it because, uh, you know, it may not be worth it. I just wanted to get the Aces of War edition in North America. I hate that I can't get the Strange Real Edition, but the ones I've seen to buy, it's more expensive for me to ship it from where I could buy it than actually the cost of it. Like, the Australian one to ship it to Canada is more expensive than the actual unit, and I'm like, I don't want to pay for that. So, there's that. Uh, Spider-Man on the PlayStation 4. I, I can't believe I haven't gotten it yet. Also, Red Dead Redemption 2 came out. I don't plan to play Red Dead Redemption 2 anytime soon, but I, I it looks amazing. As does Spider-Man, but I plan to play Spider-Man soon because it's just a, you know, a fun game. Uh, you know, we can talk also more. Uh, Battlefleet Gothic Armada 2 
is supposed to come out the day before Resident Evil 2's remake gets released, like the same weekend, like Friday, Saturday. What the heck? Like I'm trying to book Fridays and Saturdays off and like book weekends off just for that, but that's that's crazy. And then uh, good news from on Command and Conquer, uh, Command and Conquer '95 Tiberian Dawn and Command and Conquer Red Alert, and the expansion packs for both those games are being remade to allow up to 4K resolution in those games by Petroglyph with EA. That is amazing that they're doing that. Um, it's good to see that the people who did complain in the right way following the CNC Rivals uh, <laughs> announcement, that the team behind it was happy to say, like, okay, fine, we'll, we'll remake the original Command of Conquerors, and we're going to get the original guys or, like, the team that kind of did Because Petroglyph is what basically remained of Westwood when EA liquidated Westwood to turn it into EA, uh, um, EA LA, which is now gone as well. Um, that is a, a good thing to do. Hopefully we'll see more. Like, uh, I'd like to see Tiberian Sun and uh, Red Alert remastered. I, I Red Alert 2 remastered, and frankly, to see a proper, like, an amazing, not just a remaster, but, like, a remake of Generals, uh, so it could go considerably higher in fidelity and higher quality, uh, which would be cool, and back that on, I heard that Warcraft 3 is being remastered, let me take a look at this, I heard this on Wednesday from a friend, uh, Warcraft 3 remaster, Warcraft 3 remaster, is this actually true? Uh, is it out right now, actually? Uh, this is crazy if it's actually out. Or have they just, like, basically remastered the code so it can be played on current stuff? Because uh, I know StarCraft got remastered. Uh, oh, it's a free purchase. Uh, so they've got two editions. Uh, so what does it come with, though? So this is supposed to come out... Uh, Oh, next year. Just uh, it'll come out in twenty nineteen, before uh. <laughs> Looks pretty good. Looks like it's uh just a cleaner version of the game, otherwise the same uh, same stuff. Oh gosh, look. At so they haven't even discussed. It's like it will happen. I'm seeing some pictures of it. It looks like it's uh. It's pretty, um, it looks like they've upped the graphic quality a bit on it. Like, not too much, but not too little. Like, it looks like it's just cleaned up a bit. Uh, I mean, I, I I should. I haven't played the StarCraft remaster, which is supposed to be good. Yeah, let's see what else do they have. Um, yeah, speaking of video games, uh, anyone else feel hear about uh, that nice little, uh, <laughs> oh, God, the the, um, the Diablo <laughs> talk. I feel so bad for Activision uh, Blizzard on that. Like, just how they handled it. Uh, it was just so sad. Uh, I, why would you risk that? Why would you do that? Uh, the Diablo announcement, that was just... It, it's bad because you're seeing that Activision is becoming, like, is trying to push Blizzard in a direction. And Blizzard's... Let's face it, Blizzard does not get a free pass on this because, you know, Overwatch, Hearthstone, um, Dota, uh, no, Dota 2's uh, Steam, um, Heroes of the Storm. Like, the, these these games are big money makers, and 
Overwatch really brought in the idea of the loot box to the industry, like as a microtransaction. Granted, people will say, oh, it's a cosmetic thing, but uh, even then, it's like, uh, I don't like that. Oh, yeah, um, speaking of which, uh, Command Conquer Remaster should not have any microtransactions. That being said, multiple groups have added them in after the fact. Um, like, uh, who... Uh, was it Battlefield or no? Battlefield's not out yet. Battlefield Five's not out yet. But there is a. There was one game that EA brought out recently, or somebody brought out recently, saying, um, that there was going to be no microtransactions, and then like within a, f- oh, it's Call of Duty uh, has microtransactions again. Call of Duty uh, Black Ops Four brought it back in after the uh, like a few weeks after release, like two weeks after release practically. Um, I don't know. I don't, or maybe it was a full month because it was, yeah, they were early uh, October. It's just like, if you're going to put them in, tell us you're putting them in. And this way of like having a full month of the game out and then adding it in after the fact and changing some of the balancing issues of the game to benefit the idea of like pay to win mechanics and Call of Duty points as Call of Duty does, but various other microtransactions. It's just, it's it's slimy because then the reviewer doesn't, like, the review of the original game is not correct anymore. So then you have to do these live, like, these living reviews. And I understand why some gamers and some review platforms don't like uh, the idea of doing that, the idea of the living review. It is more correct, but it means that you have to go back and look at, like, okay, they released a patch for a game. Do I have to go back? It's like Gran Turismo uh, Sport on the PlayStation 4, does not have a... Like, all the reviews were just of the original game, but that game is a living game because it keeps getting updated, and now they've got microtransactions where you can buy the cars either in-game credits or not. Um, You can't buy in-game credits, you can only buy the cars, uh, of course. If you know that you can only buy the cars, you might be willing to spend your regular money on the cheaper cars and save up your big credits for the um, expensive cars, because I don't believe that you can buy cars using regular money in-game, and then sell them for credits to buy the more expensive cars, which means that you have to grind to make that amount of credits for the fifteen and twenty million dollar credit cars, um, which is kind of annoying. Like I, I, I want to buy a few of those, but you know, uh, I've just been doing the um, the Blue Moon grind race track where you get three hundred twenty five thousand uh, per race if you do a clean race. But that's, you know, that's twelve minutes it takes to do that cleanly. That's excluding the startup time for the PlayStation, getting into that, getting restarting it. It's like, oh, I mean, yes, you get a free car every time you do that. Practically every time you do that race, uh, every if you do that race once a day, you get a free car because you max out your mileage points and you get like your your marathon is done for the day. That's kind of annoying, kind of annoying. So what else should I touch on? Should I tell another story of my past or should I move on to something else? Uh, I guess I could talk about two, uh, well, the California wildfires going crazy and just how many people have died from that, the smoke from that, and the animals and just h- how terrible that is and the the pollution in Northern California, which is some say equivalent to smoking 11 cigarettes a day. It's like, yeah, this is crazy. And there is no one issue that would stop these problems from happening. Like, yeah, yeah there's forestry management that may have reduced some of the damage, Maybe, but, you know, as they say, hindsight is twenty twenty, and sometimes even the hindsight doesn't tell you all the answers. It's just, it's it's terrible. Uh, I mean, those areas have gone from, like, used to be quite 
quite moist, uh, suffering through droughts, and then they have a fire, and they have all this brush that goes up to your house that you can't clear. But even so, like, you know, you can get wind that can, like, let's say you're able to br- clear the brush within 10 feet or 20 feet of your house. If fire gets going and you got a tree that's 80, that's got, like, 40 feet tall, and it falls over and hits your house, even though you cleared the brush, that, that fire is getting to your house, man. Like, that tree could knock over and carry that fire with it and totally burn your house. So, so there's not much you can do. And, of course, we peoples, uh, we build our communities with largely flammable materials, uh, oil-based products to protect the house. And, you know, wood, drywall, it doesn't really burn as much. But, you know, most of the framing of these structures are based on wood. Most of the furniture has wood in it. Uh, you know, we have flammable stuff like natural gas lines running through the house or, you know, furnaces that are heated certain ways. And it, 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 you can't really stop these fires effectively when you know that. Uh, and by uh, what I mean stopping these fires, I mean when they when they go, they they are just going to go. Good luck. And it, And it's terrible for the people who have suffered property destruction, maybe even just being evacuated and not losing their property, losing their pets, losing friends and loved ones, and just, you know, yeah, a house burns down and you lose, like, a lot of your property, and maybe somebody, you, you like, you know, your photo op stuff, and that's, that is legitimately terrible, but the people who lose family, friends, and pets, and, like, your house can be, you can buy another house. You can make more memories. You can't get that pet back who is such a, an important thing for the last four years. Like, and your family members, if, if families or members die or friends die, like that's, a f- you don't really come back from that. Like time heals all wounds, but that's just, it's, it's, that's a tragedy that shouldn't be happening. And it's just, how, how are we going to deal with that? It's terrible. Now they're saying the smoke from that fire might actually change the, might block out some of the, might cool the earth a little bit. Uh, Point one or point two degrees, who knows? Um, but there's also a lot of carbon going on the atmosphere from that smoke, so you know, optimistic wishes versus reality. We'll see what happens. Uh, scientists will know over the few years. And speaking of scientists, will know. Um, Michael McCormick, a historian at Harvard, uh, says that the worst year to be alive in hu- in human uh, as a human would have been the year 536 A.D. So 536 A.D. would have been one of the worst years to be alive because there was a major volcanic eruption in Iceland that caused a mysterious haze slash fog, like mysterious to the people back then who were writing about it, to cover the earth. And it caused snowfall, like summertime snowfall in China, crop failures in various places, um, depression, famine, e- economic stagnation across most of Europe, and followed by the next two eruptions that happened uh, various other places at in the year uh, 540 and 547 AD, as well as the Justinian plague that hit year, uh, Egypt that killed between one third and one quarter of the po- one half of Egypt's population, and brought about the end of the Eastern uh, Roman Empire. Like it just. It, crazy stuff that this can happen. It cooled the earth 1.6 to 2, like 1.5 to 2.5 degrees Celsius, according to uh, Science Alert, mag- Science Magazine that has that. Now, I do want to read the original study, and I couldn't find it. This was published only two days ago. Uh, it was published um, Thursday afternoon. 
And I was reading about it, and that's like, that is crazy that they think that. Granted, they've the evidence they pulled was from ice cores in um, in Switzerland on the Swiss border, where they noticed like of within a hundred years of that, then there was an increase in lead pollution, which brought which is usually brought about by the evidence of silver mining from that time period. But obviously, this was like. The 530s to the 570s were, uh, according to the articles I'm reading, like the dark days in the dark ages. Like it was the worst time. And this is apparently the year that really, 536 AD was the year that started it, which is which is absolutely crazy. Like that is, that is very, uh, <laughs> that's uh, incomparable that how our science is so good that we can figure that out from ice cores and from tree uh, tree rings and all this stuff, like just amazing oh, history we can learn from, from stuff that doesn't seem that big, but then we can find out like all oh, this ashes got carbon from here and here and here. It's just, it's, it's amazing. And we can see that volcanoes definitely have this major effect because, you know, they, you know, when Mount St. Helens went up in near Spokane, Washington in the year, uh, it was the mid eighties. Uh, it was like, two inches of ash in southern Alberta from that overnight. And you could see what that could do if you had a big enough eruption to spread enough ash to cover, let's say, an entire continent within the first day of the eruption and within, you know, and I'm not talking about, like, ash covering everything, but, you know, like an ash cloud that significantly dimmed uh, the sun's rays. You could have a global cooling thing. And we've known that that's happened because there was that big volcano. I think it was in Papua New Guinea, Papua New Guinea or Indonesia in the eight, late 1800s that went up. That like it was this island that completely was destroyed from its eruption. There's just sandbars left, but it was like one of the most powerful eruptions in in recorded human history. It was like it it, it made the the SAR bomb, uh, which was a 50 megaton nuclear warhead, look like a joke. Like that's how crazy. This is, and you know, the environment is quite powerful. Like, sure, we manipulate and we try to dominate it, but we're not much. <laughs> we're we're very adaptable species uh, by most cases, but I don't know if we're as adaptable as we used to be. So, yeah, that's about thirty minutes of that. Uh, I'm also going to talk about um, Canada's legalization of marijuana and why it hasn't gone as well as it should have. Now, when when you consider legalizing a drug, the goal is largely to weaken the black market and the criminal element of it by having it abund having an abundance and it cheap enough, so a regular consumer is going to go to a place that's legal and monitored or regulated in some way, shape, or form by a a body, either government or maybe even a private institution the government trusts or the community trusts to purchase this drug. And to have it in safe places and understanding that they need to take responsibility for doing it, that they're not going to be arrested for possessing it, but if they do things that are questionable on it, it will be a heavier fine or heavier punishment based on that. That So, you know, like walking around with four grams of marijuana wouldn't be a problem, but driving under the influence of it and finding out through a blood test that you are and you had too much of it in your system, well, then now now that's you're risking other people's lives. If you're smoking in your own house, that's different um, versus, you know, doing stuff in public that could endanger other people. That's the libertarian perspective. But now we find out that 
Canada has largely had a limit, very limited supply. And some provinces have gone, uh, let's do the Quebec thing. Quebec has a monopoly on it. And Quebec's monopoly is running very low on marijuana. And it's very hard to get it because the monopoly decides how they're going to distribute it. And they're charging the prices. And now the black market is seeing that, seeing um, opportunities in Ontario, seeing opportunities in various other provinces. And they're coming in, and the marijuana, uh, illegal marijuana, which the legal stuff was supposed to undercut at price, the black market is now cheaper than the legal stuff because of how hard it is to access it, how the government has restricted the supply lines of it, restricted the distribution points of it, and, uh, like way too much. And granted, that's also, that's not just a, uh, a province thing, that's also a civic uh, issue. Uh, that needs to be brought up. But but you see this going on, you're like, okay, the whole point of this was, thankfully they're stopping, like, uh, possession charges are largely going down. But there are guys still sitting in prison who got arrested with possession, and probably their trial finished up just before the full legalization t- made effect. Like, that should be dropped. That guy should be out of prison. Because if all he did was buy marijuana and he walked around with four grams instead of one... He was over the legal limit. It's like, should he go to a prison where it, he's like 300 bucks a day it costs to lock him up or like however it is, like 20000 plus Canadian dollars a year to have him detained because he decided to smoke and walk around with marijuana? Like, if that's all he's done, let him out. If he broke into somebody's house to get high because he, wanted, he was going to steal their TV to buy marijuana... That's different, but that was the whole point of legalization was to make sure that people weren't going to be desperate, the prices weren't going to be high, they weren't going to be breaking into houses, and now it's not working out as well as it should be. I don't know about Alberta, if it's too crazy here or not, but from what I've heard, Ontario has had, it's very hard to buy through the Ontario supplier, with even them not properly informing their customers of how to do it, Quebec having the monopoly and being almost out of it. Uh, I think a lot of the suppliers for Western Canada have also suffered a considerable drop in the amount, which, of course, when supply and demand, when you have a ton of demand and very low supply, well, that supply gets very expensive because you're going to get people who are willing to pay the new price to get to the uh, to get to the parity point, uh, not to the parity point. Um, oh God, what was it from economics? I can't remember. But basically, like you know, one of the curves shift. Until it gets to a point where the supply and the demand are equal, so the price is so. If you have got very limited supply, the price is going to go higher here. And you know, is it Pareto efficiency? I think it was. I can't. I I might be completely wrong. Let me look up Pareto efficiency. Um, I think that's what it's called. Uh, no, that's something else. Uh, no, Pareto efficiency. Uh, oh yeah, Pareto efficiency is determining. Uh, uh, allocating of as when somebody intervenes in the market, uh, like when the government intervenes. So there's that. Um, no, what you're looking is like the efficient, like the the new supply and the new demand point on the supply and demand curve um, graph. So we've got that not going that well. So good on us, Canada. Let's 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 legalize it and then find out we don't have enough supply. And unfortunately, I think the Liberal government is going to get in uh, and. 2019 because of legalizing marijuana. I think they're going to get a lot of votes for it. Now, I don't think that if the, let's say the conservatives got in, I don't think they'd, uh, I don't think they'd ban marijuana. I don't think they'd re-legalize it, reschedule it as a, you know, as a controlled substance. How a lot of 
government like it's a schedule X class or a schedule one or a schedule two or whatever like however they 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 make like things sound less illegal by scheduling it like it's a schedule or something drug or substance it's like just call it what it is like it's it's a controlled substance or it's an illegal substance that people aren't supposed to have and I'm for legalizingly all like all this all the drugs um, but people have to take responsibility for it and that's my stance on it. So, you know, something to talk about there. Yeah, it's just it's just, it's just crazy. And then, uh, you know, uh, let's see. We're 37 minutes almost into this whole thing, and I feel like I've mostly done what I want to talk about. I mean, there's not too much going on. The uh, There's the whole thing about the, uh, you know, there's still F-35 debate going on. Is it should it be uh, the F thirty five cool the F twenty two cool oh yeah the 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 uh, Sequoia uh, or Sequoia I think is how they're pronounced um, I don't know they make the Su twenty seven flanker series of aircraft um, family with the Su thirty two thirty four um, fullback uh, ground attack version of them uh, pretty much like strike flankers is what they originally were called now they're called fullbacks by NATO. Um, they had made this nice, um, the SU-57, um, which was originally called the PAC-FAT-50. Now it's the SU-57. It's kind of, it's Russia's answer or sort of answer to the F-22 stealth fighter, uh, stealth raptor. So, you know, there were these articles on national interest about how the designer was bragging about, oh, this plane's built with air ground support in mind and, you know, all this stuff and saying the F-22 is inferior to us because the ground support's like... Yeah, but you may only ever have 20 working SU-57s, and probably only 12 to 14 of those will be flight-ready at any point in time. The U.S. has 122 Raptors right now. Now, granted, probably only 80 or so, uh, I think it was like, it's closer to like 60% of them are, uh, so let's say 70 of them are flight-active at any point in time because of maintenance scheduling and, you know, all that. Like, they are expensive planes to fly. But even if that's true, even if it is a full, uh, you know, 12 to 14 versus 70 is a, you know, that's a turkey shoot. U-12, U-Russian SU-57-12s, the PAC-FAs, are going to be blown out of the sky so fast that the F-22, like, you know, they're going to be casualties, but the F-22 is going to win. And the Russians, I don't think their pilots are as well-trained in dogfighting as the U.S. is. Now... The only way to ever determine that is a mock engagement uh, on friendly terms or a real engagement, which is the real engagement is scary. Uh, but yeah, so there's that. And then China was showing off their new stealth fighter. I think it was the J-20. Um, they had it at one of their air shows with the weapons bay open showing their new missiles that are supposed to have with it. Or was it the J-11? I forget. It's the one that's like this elongated aircraft uh, that looks like it has, like the back end looks like they stole it from an F-22 and the front end looks like they just took an old J-10 and sort of stealthed it up uh, and put it in. And then their next fighter is closer uh, in line with the uh, S uh, versus the F-35, which, by the way, Russia hasn't made a second stealth fighter yet. Interesting that China's made two. Uh, both aren't in service, but will be soon. And Russia's only made one, and it's too expensive to really put into full production, just like their T-14 tanks that they've been making. 
but granted, you're dealing with a country that their like Russia doesn't have the money it used to have. Like when when the Soviet Union existed, they had the ability to direct a lot of money into weapons research and military development because they were basically draining the, um, you know, they were taking raw minerals and production supplies from various other countries under the Soviet control and giving it to Russia. Now that a lot of the, I guess, the better places like Ukraine and some of the other more uh, mineral-rich places or had better factory experience is now out of their control. They sort of have lost their economy, and they've never really recovered from that breakdown of the Soviet Union, which is why you can see why certain uh, governments want to bring them back in a way, which is not a positive thing to think about, but it is what the governments, uh, what the Soviet Union, and what the follow-up guys who want to restore the idea of, like, oh, the Soviet Union was great back then. No, I, I, I get it. The Soviet Union was this amazing superpower, and communism destroyed it, because communism was out, destroys everything. <sighs> so there's that. Um, you know, October came and went with Halloween, which... Thankfully, this year, I didn't see as many of those stupid, stupid, like, check your kid's candy, do this, do that. I mean, granted, marijuana was legal in Canada, but I didn't hear very many cases of kids getting access to edible marijuana, like candy, stuff like that. I, I didn't hear any of that. Maybe I'm ignorant. Maybe I didn't go searching for it, but I didn't hear about it, and, you know... A lot Facebook feeds generally fly up with that when something happens because they always say like, "Oh, kid, yeah, there was that one knife in the apple or something like that." It's like that was somebody that was like the aunt of that kid or aunt, uncle, like, like, and a lot of the stories are totally fake or just like fear mongering tactics. It's a lot of BS like that, and it's just it's it's absolutely terrible. Uh, I just you know I wish that the, that wasn't the way it would be. <laughs> so I'm going to get some more uh so yeah we're I'm getting close to 45 minutes here. I think I'm going to call it just call it early. I haven't done too much uh else like uh not a lot of gaming recently. Uh I shouldn't say that. I've done a bit of gaming, but just of games that aren't uh, super worth talking about um Stardew Valley being one of them. But Stardew Valley is actually ridiculously fun. Ridiculously fun. I got it, uh, you know, it's on my Switch, and I bought it for the PC. It's like, cause it's just a nice, calm, relaxing game to play. It's just fun to play. Um, yeah. Want to get Spider-Man? Uh, there's not a lot really coming out. I mean, there's the new Pokemon game I'm considering. But do I really want to spend the money on it right now? Eh, I don't know. Anyway, uh, it's a pretty good... I think that uh, we're going to sign off, and hopefully next Saturday, uh, which, of course, at 7 into it, which will be the 24th, I plan to record another one, and I plan to just try to keep going as much as I possibly can. Uh, probably not going to do anything on the 8th. Um, extended family coming in on the 15th and beyond in December. So there's that. Uh, so December might be a little bit of a sort of hiatus around Christmas time, New Year sort of stuff, but that'll be a reason for it. Um, anything else I really want to talk about? Not really. I mean, I could talk about the NFL, but I'm just a fan of watching the NFL. I don't really get involved in any of this stupid BS between players like, oh, Le'Veon Bell and all that stuff. It's like, just let me watch the game and let me laugh at it. <laughs> 
Guess I'm the simple guy in that case. Uh, anything else to go into? I don't think so. I do not know. Uh, I'm going to try looking for a sort of permanent co-host for this show. Or at least try to get more second people on. I've said that millions of times. Not millions of times, but enough. But again, it's like you, when you're working two jobs, it's really hard to get enough time to actually do what you love without feeling like you're you're and I'm not going to say like feel like you're wasting time or doing something else like that but it's just you know everyone you, you're working at this new job and you got an expectation you got people who don't understand how it goes and yeah I could rant about that but I, I don't think that'd be right so I think I'll leave it there thank you for watching Oh, not watching, but listening to this episode. Episode 17, The Potatoes War on Stuffing. We will be back soon. Stay tuned for another episode of Stories from the Crisper Drawer. Bye.